Welcome back to I Have to Ask with Elizabeth Hess. Today's guest is Julie Pride. She's the administrator at the Champaign-Urbana Public Health District. First, start with a little history of yourself. Where did you grow up and what brought you to this community? Okay, I grew up in Maroa, which is um, about nine miles north of Decatur. You've probably heard of Maroa Forsyth High School and the Forsyth Mall. Um, I actually came over here, like so many, I came to the U of I. I had been a art major, and then I worked as a commercial artist for five years, and then AIDS hit, and I decided I could work with people that have HIV. That was back when you heard, you know, that people were leaving them out and not feeding them in the nursing homes or the hospitals or not burying them, and I was mortified by that. So I just packed up and came to the U of I and studied social work, found Joan Lathrop at the health department, and the rest is history. We're going to get into HIV in a minute because uh, that was a lot of your inspiration, I know, at the beginning. Let's first talk about your personal life. Your partner, Tammy, she works at my veterinarian, and she's so kind. She's the person that's there in some of the greatest and some of the saddest moments in your life. I don't know much about your children, Anna, Maya, and Alex. Tell me a little bit about them. Well, they're wonderful. Anna is 22, and she is going to have her master's in social work in May. She has a a partner, Jack, and they are making me feel old, basically. And then my son, Alex, he is 22 as well, although they're not twins, like everybody asked me. Um, All of our kids are actually adopted from Calcutta, India. And then he is a junior at the U of I School of Social Work. And then Maya is 19, and she is a freshman. And she, at this moment, is interested in um, studying radiology So we will see where that goes. You have a master's of public health. You have a master's of social work. You've been certified as a public health administrator since 2010. You started out working in advertising. What makes you go from art to public health? You would probably be surprised to know that the art, it's more like a design type of thing. And and marketing is really research. So, I mean, it's research-based. So there are some parallels in there, but... I I really pivoted, if you will, because of HIV, and that's what made me head to Champaign and to study social work, and then had the person working in HIV at the time worked somewhere else, then I would probably be there. But as it is, she, it was Joan Lathrop, and she was the director of social services at public health, which I had never even heard of. I didn't even know what a public health department was, and um, I went there met her and started working with her, volunteering, and eventually did an internship there. Okay, so you are a student. Let's just help paint the picture. Here you are, a student at U of I, and you volunteer full circle career right now at the Champaign-Urbana Public Health District. Of all of the issues facing public health, why did HIV hit you so hard? I think it hit me because I knew people who were dying from it. I also, there was a time that I believed, and of course being gay, I thought, it was simply roll of the dice because had I been a guy, I probably would have been sick and dying like my friends were. You know, my best friend died, and that's when I decided I could not work in HIV anymore. When he died, I got out of everything. I got off a of GCAPS board. I got off of, I quit helping Joan, and I quit volunteering. I wanted nothing to do with it. And once I, it, he happened to die the same summer that my grandparents both died. And I was like, nope, not going to do this. And I kept, you know, I kept reading about it. I kept staying involved somewhat, but trying to protect myself a little bit from it because it was hard. It was very hard in the 80s. 
Um, and, and there's a ton of people around this community as, as everywhere who know how hard it was. And, you know, when you're just like constantly losing people. But the, one of the things that about pushed me over the edge was doing the, my internship, a BSW internship with Prairie AIDS Foundation and Public Health. And here, I, I think I was 23 at the time. So I was, I'm 23 and I had 11 clients and over half of them were younger than me and every one of them died. And I'm like, uh, no, I cannot continue to do this. And thank God in 1995, at least there was an, a, the drug cocktail came out. So we started, you know, seeing some hope and now we're to the, a completely different world. And after HIV, STD, TB prevention and management, you worked with communicable diseases and adult immunizations, infectious disease prevention and management. Finally, in November of 2008, you were appointed as the first female public health administrator in the 81-year history of CUPHD. Why was it such a male-dominated field until you came along? Honestly, I believe that the reason why it was a male-dominated um, position not only here, but all of the bigger health departments across the state, is because they were rel- you know, relatively high-paying jobs as far as public health goes, which isn't, I suppose, <laughs> considered that high of paying jobs in general. But the bigger health departments, the administrators, made the most money, obviously, than the little places. But if you look around the state, all the little health departments were run by women forever. It's just the bigger ones that never had women. Now most of them do, but I, I believe that's what it had to do with. It's just like, this is a good job, therefore a woman shouldn't be getting it. Wow, did you prove them wrong. Let's continue uh, with flu shots and this season. We were just talking about this off the air, but it makes me crazy when people say that the flu shot, quote, causes the flu. Can you please disprove this myth? Well, if I could, I would actually be picking up my uh, Nobel Prize because this has been the most insane thing, and it just keeps going. It doesn't matter who stands up there on the TV, whether it's the head of the CDC or any physician out there or anyone who studies it, it doesn't matter. But the fact is, flu shots are killed virus. It, and it's not called a dead virus, it's actually called a killed virus. So they take the virus and they uh, kill it, but your immune system can still recognize it. So you're still getting the immune response. It is incapable, because it's killed, of causing disease. So if someone were to really be interested in actually educating themselves on this, they could simply Google, how does a vaccine work? Because it's, how does it, how does it confer immunity? And they will see that it is not a live virus. There are live viruses out there, but they are live attenuated viruses. That means that they are, while they're alive, they're weakened in a way that makes them not able to cause disease, assuming that you have a healthy immune system. That's why people with HIV can't get certain types of vaccines. But a flu shot cannot ever give you the flu. What does happen is that people wait until too late when flu is already circulating in the community, it's too late. So while you're waiting for your two weeks of, for immunity to build up, you could already be infected and it's just gonna play out <laughs> like it does with anyone else. So you're gonna go from you know, getting your shoot flu shot and you're already infected, you, you make that connection in your mind and it will stick forever, but it's not a real one. While we're on the subject of both vaccinations and 
making a false connection in your mind. Let's talk about the anti-vaxxers. Preventable diseases can be controlled with herd immunity. You've said that many times. What do you say to people when they try to convince you that vaccinations cause autism or why they're a bad idea in general? Well, I pretty much simply don't bother to even listen to them because it's just not reality. Um, Now, if for some reason the CDC comes up with something and they change their mind and they say, oh, wait, look here, then maybe I would, you know, (laughs) I would be listening to it. But um, it's it's cognitive dissonance. That's what it is. That's what it's called when you have a reality, but you don't believe it. And then if somebody like the how this mostly started had to do with the article in Lancet saying that there was a link between autism and and the MMR vaccine. Now, once that was proven that Andrew Wakefield was actually a flaming nut who did nothing but try to enrich himself by making up data and things, then they just switched their belief system different. Well, yes, but have you read the ingredient list? Have you done this? Have you done this? So there's no real point in me trying to convince people who refuse to do it What I do try to do is to get everyone else to get their flu shots because it is important for the community because anytime you get vaccinated, you're you're protecting yourself, of course, but you're also protecting your family. You're protecting your extended family and elderly relatives. You're protecting anyone who's pregnant, babies, anyone with... uh, who's on cancer medications, anyone who has HIV, anyone with organ transplants, anything like that. So it's personally, it's if you are capable of taking the vaccine, my personal belief is you are very selfish for not doing it. And it especially disturbs me that I know there's a lot of parents out there whose kids are not vaccinated, but they're vaccinated because their parents vaccinated them. And, you know, so that's my own personal belief, um, that that is a very selfish thing to do because while you may be healthy enough or possibly even your kid could get something and get past it, you know, you could get chicken pox and, and survive it because a lot of people do. But there's also a lot of people who don't. And um, I have a good friend whose daughter got chicken pox and died, 12 years old. And these are before vaccines. So, you know, and, and they're coming back because people aren't vaccinating and it lets it get a foothold and then, it, and then it can come in. And if you're someone and you happen to get encephalopathy from it or you happen to get meningitis from it, you could be dead. And, and that's, it's tragic and it's completely unnecessary. Let me give you some rapid fire back and forth things. You tell me how we can be vigilant about the following. West Nile. Well, basically West Nile, you need to get rid of the mosquitoes in your area, so don't let them breed in your yard. Wear DEET repellent. Don't use some kind of oil that you found at, you know, some kind of store that smells good, and they say it, claim it works. Use DEET or something that has been proven to work. Let's talk about Zika. How do we be vigilant about that? Same thing, except it's a different mosquito. They can bite day and night. Um, if I were, a, a, well, I actually am a woman. I was going to say if I was a woman. <laughs> what I actually meant to say was if I was a woman of childbearing age, which I don't believe I am anymore, um, I would not be, if I was thinking about getting pregnant, I would absolutely not travel to areas where this is endemic. Right now, there is too much unknown, and it's also sexually transmitted, and that's the piece that people always forget about that one. So Zika is sexually transmitted and transmitted by mosquitoes, so it is like a public health nightmare. 
What about Ebola? Um, Ebola is, you know, it's not here yet, but it's one of those things where we need to make sure that we take care of um, public health in other parts of the world because it's uh, Ebola is a plane right away. Now, it's, if it gets here, it's not going to wildly spread across, you know, the country like something that would be airborne. But with that, it's you you don't get into anybody else's blood or, you know, body fluids and things like that. It's not as big of an issue here because we have sanitation. We have, you know, professional funeral type practices. So <clears throat> we're not, we typically don't wash the corpses of someone who's just died. When I read that your favorite books are about disasters and infectious diseases, mm-hmm. and you read a lot about the flu pandemic preparation, I thought, well, she must be fun at parties. But you know what? You really are. So how do you shut off the public health part of your brain so you can just enjoy life? Well, I, I actually find them to be compatible. So I, <clears throat> I probably do talk about things like that more than most people, but I just find it fascinating. So... I, I talk about all kinds of weird stuff, but um, I, it, it's not something that is scary to me. I think that it's kind of like with HIV. The more I read, the more I understood, the more I felt like I could help other people understand, and that's kind of, kind of where it started, and, and that's what it is, I think, with the other diseases, because once you actually know what's happening, it's less scary. When you only partially know, that's when it's scary. And obviously, all I, you know, what I'm talking about is just reading things. It's not like I'm in there doing bench research to find this stuff out. Um, but if you, if you really know the specifics of how each type of disease works, it, it definitely is a lot less concerning. When you're not teaching or writing or working or parenting, what do you enjoy doing? Well, embarrassing things like, you know, Pokemon and reading. Why is that embarrassing? Playing Pokemon, a 54-year-old woman playing Pokemon. I could think of a few things you've probably done that are more embarrassing. Oh, yes. Uh, Pretty much all of the 80s, but we won't get into that on this. That would be a separate podcast. If you ever do like an After Dark podcast, you can call me back for that one. You know, I want to, but I'm trying to keep it clean at first just to get a respectable following. So thank you for coming on. But uh, you once were asked in an interview for your favorite foods. I'm completely with you on spicy Indian food, and you and I have talked about meeting out sometime for that. But black licorice, that's the devil's food. What's wrong with you? No, not black licorice. I hate black licorice. I only like black jelly beans. Okay, but that's the same thing. They taste... No, they, I know. I get this from people all the time. It is not. Black jelly beans are delicious. They are fabulously delicious. And black licorice, to me, tastes like evil. I know, I know. People can't get the two, but... Here's the deal with that. Um, Something fascinating about black jelly beans, which I found out from personal experience, you can actually eat enough of them to cause heart palpitations. Seriously? I'm serious. I had to look it up, and it is true. It can actually cause a heart arrhythmia. You eat so many of them. I'm going to tell people that when they ask me, what's wrong with you? Black licorice are the best. I don't want an arrhythmia. I feel like 90% of the world's problems can be solved if people just wash their hands. Thoughts? That's absolutely correct. Public health is pretty much us trying to keep poo out of people's mouths, whether it is through sanitation or hand washing or safer sex practices or whatever. That's a goodly part of what we do. It really is. Before I let you go, a misconception people have is that the government just pays public health. You have all this money. Where do you get your money from? Well, we, we are a unit of local government, so we have a tax base. We do that, but the most of our money we get through grants and contracts. 
Um, we get, I write lots of grants, and so do a, a lot of my uh, division directors. Everyone's writing grants. Um, the director of HR wrote a grant and got us some fabulous exam tables for people using wheelchairs. So they go all the way to the ground and they come back up. So everybody's invested in you know, making public health better, so they're always looking for money that way. We have lots of cooperative agreements. Um, we just actually got a really cool grant from Kresge Foundation. So people may notice on my Facebook that I'm traveling more than usual, going to different conferences. And that is because um, the assistant administrator, Always Vade, and I got something called Emerging Leading Leaders in Public Health from Kresge Foundation. So we have a year, a little over a year, and about $120,000 to bring in training and and go to different types of training so that they suggest so i'm so glad that you're here julie pride administrator champaign urbana public health district thank you for joining me and i have to ask with elizabeth hess thank you so much thank you